The Bible reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 39. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay, well, we're going to uh, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 39 now, the last in this series on assurance, and um, just an old colloquialism to start with, diamonds are forever, that's what we're told. And uh, Toyota Hiluxes are apparently indestructible. Now, the problem with those sort of statements are that we all know there's no reality to them. Uh, I've seen many a Toyota Hilux, the worst for wear after a four-wheel drive trip. So here's the question out of that. Can we as Christians say we are forever? Christians are forever. May I say, as a Christian, with absolute total confidence that nothing will keep me, as a believer, from getting home to heaven. Now, the problem again with that is that we know ourselves. When I say something like that, I immediately feel a fear beginning to rise within me. And perhaps the thing I fear most is myself. Uh, I saw a guy wearing a T-shirt once, um, which I thought was just me. The T-shirt said, determination. The thing I get just before doing something really stupid. And I actually thought, that is me. My, My determination is just to do that which pleases the Lord and honors him but so often followed by the very opposite, by sin. Saying or doing something stupid which dishonors God or at the other extreme, thinking that some religious action I can do will actually make me more acceptable to God. And so I think with some justification, I fear myself in that respect. If it's down to me to to guarantee I'm going to get to heaven. 
but I also fear what others might do to me. Now, of course, most of what I have to experience from others is just on the, on the minor end of the scale, ridicule. Uh, people seem to think that because I'm a Christian, then I'm either admitting to being totally stupid or emotionally deficient. Uh, but then there's the more passive, uh, aggressive hostility, being marginalized by neighbors, uh, the wider family. And that hurts. And then there's the more extreme stuff that uh, I've never had to experience and hopefully never will have to experience. But, but people, Christians around the world are experiencing right now as we sit here in the comfort of this room, a torture and execution simply for the sake of being Christians. Last week, we looked at verses 17 and 18. And 17 and 18 promise us future glory. Suffering now, but glory in the future. That is to be in home in heaven with Christ and like Christ. Complete renewal. But again, you see, it all seems a bit too good to be true. When the reality so often for each one of us is that we already almost feel defeated just looking into the challenges of living this coming week, let alone considering the challenges of a lifetime ahead of us of struggling to to serve the Lord. So, could I be safe in the kingdom of God today and yet be lost or rejected tomorrow, or next week, or next month, or next year? Can I truly say with absolute confidence that I will persevere as a Christian? Well, my friends, I'm delighted to be able to tell you this morning and to share with you the fifth point of reference. We've been talking about reference points for assurance. Is the answer is yes. Because God guarantees my security, your security as a Christian. I can be absolutely sure I will persevere because God promises to preserve me. Those two words go really inseparably together. I will persevere. Because God will preserve. That's our fifth reference point for assurance. Now, when I say that God guarantees our security, then that raises another problem because we're pretty wary of security, of guarantees these days, aren't we? Uh, we've all come across guarantees where in the fine print we suddenly find that the very time we need to use the guarantee, there's an exclusion clause. There's a circumstance that isn't covered by the guarantee. So the question again becomes, can we trust God's guarantee? Or are there hidden exclusion clauses? Are there some circumstances that God anticipates where he says, well, no, the guarantee doesn't work in that, in that situation? Well, let's have a look at the terms of God's guarantee this morning. And this is the guarantee, that God is working for your good and his purpose in every circumstance of life. Now again, see how those two dovetail together. Your good, his purpose. 
in every circumstance of life. Uh, picking up at verse 28 to 30, I, I had a, a brief run through these last week. Um, so we're, we're, we're this sort of form a, a, a link between these two sections of Scripture. Verses 28 to 30, just listen to how it reads. And we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And those who love God are those called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstfruits among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. God guarantees we will preserve, persevere because he will preserve us. God's project, salvation, is the ultimate start-to-finish package deal. That's what I'm calling it this morning. If you're, if you're a visitor, you can be following the outline on the back of your bulletin. It, it's the, God's ultimate start-to-finish package deal. At every step of the way, in every circumstance of life, we're told here that the Lord is working for the good of his children and according to his own purpose. God will not be satisfied, nor will he rest until he brings us home. A start-to-finish package deal that we call salvation. Picture salvation as a chain with five massive inseparable links so strong they can never be broken that join us inseparably to God forever. Truly indestructible. Truly forever. Let's look at these links. Link one. It says here God foreknew his people. Now there's lots that could be said about that. There's lots of arguments to and fro. But at the very least it's the language of marriage commitment where God declares that in eternity past, even before our physical universe existed, God, for his own sake, set his love upon his people, determined to enjoy intimate, unbroken relationship with them. That's God's purpose from before time began. Now go to the other end of the chain, link number five. Well, it says there, end of verse uh, 30, that God also glorified these same people. God's purpose was to have a people that would honor him and be in intimate relationship with him. End of the link, God does it. And that end link there, the glorify, that's the language of a royal coronation ceremony. Declares that in eternity future... His people will actually experience and enjoy in full the perfection of the glory of Jesus Christ. Being united with him, perfectly like him, enjoying all the things that he currently enjoys. But notice that God does everything else in between as well. Link two, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
God plans specifically to save his sinful people. Now, God doesn't just say, I love you. I was never our my Jesus kept repeating to me, don't just say you love me. Show you love me. Demonstrate you love me. Well, this is exactly what God does. Not just saying he's, he set his love on us, but he demonstrates that love by actually having a plan, a specific plan and pathway to bring his people home. He does everything. He plans to do everything necessary to become father to his people rather than judge of his people. Link three. The language of creation. So it conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the first fruits among the brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. God's spirit intervenes, breathing new life into people. People who are dead because of sin. Quite literally calling us and bringing us to Christ in real time having created both the ability and the desire to relate to God as he wishes to relate to them, his people. And link four, those he called, he also justified. This is courtroom language in that word, declaring that God has done everything legally necessary in the death of Christ to provide for the resumption of unrestricted relationship. So that scans eternity, that, that chain of salvation, start to finish, salvation package. My friends, we just need to pause for a moment and feel the security God is offering us in, these, in this verse, in these five links God's plan is thorough. It starts in eternity past and is completed in eternity future. There is nothing left to chance. He moves towards his people. He, fore, he foreknows them. He loves them. Sets his love on them. He, he, he makes the pathway. He does everything necessary legally to bring us into relationship with him. And he brings us home to be like Christ, finally, as we were created to be. There's nothing left to chance. There is nothing in this start to finish salvation package deal that's left to you and me. Our salvation is God's plan from eternity past to eternity future. And God finishes what he starts. But there's more. If we look back now to verse 28... But Iris doing the verses back to front, but it works better that way, I think. Verse, God's promise in verse 28. In every circumstance of life, God is working to his plan. Now, what is his plan? Well, his plan, I say again, as I said earlier, your good and ultimately your glory. For his own name's sake. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Last week I tacked those on at the end of the last passage because it was talking about suffering. Incredible suffering. 
will, will befall us as Christians. That's, that's we're, we're locked into this life, that's, this world that's tearing itself apart, but one day we'll be renewed. And in that context, all things work together for your good, for our good, for my good. God's purpose, your good, and ultimately, our glory. Now, our problem, of course, is that we can't see the big plan of God. We can't see the whole plan. All we can see and feel are the things that knock us around on a daily basis. And there are plenty of those things on a weekly basis, a daily basis. So our focus is sort of stuck here in the detail on a week-by-week, day-by-day basis. God's big plan is eternal. And so we sometimes fear as we, as we just get stuck in, in the trials and tribulations of any given day or week, we fear that we're abandoned. We fear that we're alone in the struggle of life. But not so. In fact, God is at work, we're told here, in every single circumstance of your life and mine for your good and for mine. Now, what is that good? Well, it's making us a little bit more like Christ, like Jesus, every single circum- in every single circumstance of life. In other words, God's actually working now, as he promised, to prepare us for glory. And what we, get, what we trip up on as the, the difficulties and challenges of living through a given day is actually God working for good in our lives. His big plan if we could have seen it, and we're, we've been told it here, is for our good. And that's the life experience detail that we looked at last week in verses 17 and 18. Suffering and glory together. Suffering now, glory then. Now we need to again pause and let this settle into your mind because There's a a mood across Christian circles these days that just robs us of this truth. It says here that in all things, in all circumstances, God is working for our good and for his purpose. And yet we hear so many Christians today saying, well, God's in the good things of life, but not in the bad things of life. I'm not sure which particular part of the Bible they're reading when they say that, but that's, that's a really strong view held by lots of people who would call themselves Christians. Some Christians would say that, some Christians would teach that God is in my recovery and health, but not in my sickness and pain. And where does that leave you if you're, if you're struggling with a a chronic illness. God is in my doing well, but not in my failures and sin. God heard my prayer when I get what I want, but clearly hasn't heard me when I don't get what I want. I, I really couldn't live in a world like that.
Friends, the reality for you and me is that we learn best through failures. We learn best as the Lord in various circumstances forces us to confront our sin, exposes ourselves to our own sin. We learn best then, far better than when we do when life is chugging along really smoothly. I'm learning this personally. Been learning it severely over the last five years. As repeatedly, the Lord has taken me into places I would never choose to be. I would never choose to go. In a million years, I wouldn't have chosen to go there. But the Lord has repeatedly taken me into places of incredible pain, incredible insecurity, that I might find my security in Him. That I might have exposed myself, my self-reliance, my rotten concern for my own reputation, even as I would, would appear to be concerned for God's reputation and God's church. That I'm setting my heart to, in a sense, build my own king, kingdom rather than setting my heart to honor the Lord. And the Lord takes us into circumstances, has taken me into circumstances to expose that. Now, what do I say about that? Well, painful as it is, I say that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. I couldn't say that on any given day, but I can say that overall. It continues to be a really hard lesson to learn. But I'm more able to remember now that not only is God with me in the mess of life, but that he has taken me into the mess of life as the pathway to glory. Slow but sure renovation of me personally from the inside out into that one day beautiful structure that has designed and built by Jesus, stamped on my forehead, as opposed to the current loser, <laughs> might appear to some. But notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say here that all the things we experience will be good or pleasant or welcome. Sin is never good. Sickness, disease, strained relationships, broken relationships, accidents, natural disasters, those things are never good. They're always painful. But God's promise is this, that even these things will be used for the good of those who love him. Friends, this is why we can relax in every circumstance of life. I don't mean by relax being complacent. I mean relax in every circumstance of life. Not because it's good or pleasant in itself, but because it is purposeful. Under God's hand. 
And in fact, if I flipped that around, I would say again to you, I couldn't survive, I really couldn't survive in this world if there was a single moment in a single day of my life that I thought God wasn't in. Life would just be too cruel, too pointless, if, if that was where I was. God will use sin, failures, sickness, collapse, business ventures, accidents, and even conflict in our own church family. Yes, even conflict in our own church family. God will use every one of those things and all those things to work for our good and his purpose in making us like Christ. I guess the question then is, will, will, we, will we welcome that? Are we prepared to go down that pathway and learn? Or do we just want to cut and run? Well, I can tell you, there's been many days when I just wanted to cut and run. But even then, I believe the Lord has pulled me back in by various agencies and the counsel of various people. He's pulled me back in and said, no, this is where I want you to be. This is where your good is being perfected in you. Or my good is being perfected in you. Well, let's press ahead now into verses 31 to 39, uh, where Paul lists four practical implications in the light of what I've just said in those verses 28 to 30. And he poses just four questions. I just want to run through them as quickly as I can now. First question, verse 31. Who is there to be afraid of? Given that God's power is for us. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, one of the things I've seen through Romans 7 and 8, and not to surprise us, but it does always surprise me still, is that Father, Son, and Spirit are so completely and individually and collectively involved in salvation. And so the question here is really saying, if the Trinity, if Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have my back, if Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have my perimeter defense covered by day and by night, then I don't need to fear the loneliest part of night, which for me is often when my fears are at their strongest. I don't need to, to fear the scariest confrontation with my own sins, seeing it face to face and, and realizing what it is. I don't need to fear the intentions of uh, family or, or, in your case, work colleagues or, or, or others that you, you rub shoulders with in this world. I don't need to fear their ability to hurt me as a Christian. Verse 32, what will be denied given what has already been supplied in Christ? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
A father who presents a $900,000 Ferrari as a gift to his child is hardly going to jump up and down and rant and rave over $100 worth of petrol, is he? And yet that's so often what we think and feel as Christians. Here's what the Lord has given us already in Christ. And then somehow or other we think that he won't just supply the extra few bits and pieces that's required to make us feel the love of Jesus and to keep us on the track and bring us home. God's not going to hold back the things we need to be his children, having already invested so much to make us his children. And yet, how often and how regularly do we convince ourselves that God is neither caring nor generous towards us? That somehow or other God's blind to the things I need on a day-by-day basis? Or, Or worse still, we actually convince ourselves that in serving Jesus, somehow or other I'm missing out on the good things of life. And that's the same old story that got Adam and Eve to start with, isn't it? That God's not being up front with us. He's got something better over there that he's trying to hide from us and keep us here in misery. Oh, my friends, how do we get to think those things? We need to take God at his word. Like a great parent, we can trust that if something is good for us, then it will be given to us. And that also includes hard times, disappointments, challenges. Why are they good for us? Because they strip us bare of our own abilities and resources and self-confidence and they put our focus back on Christ. Third question, who will bring a legitimate charge against us? Verses 33 and 4, especially given that Jesus has already wiped clean our slate and dealt with all charges against us. Verses 33 and 34, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies See, the Lord did not cut any corners or engage in any cover-up when it came to our salvation, when it came to doing everything legally required to turn us from enemies into friends. There will be nothing that will come back in the future to embarrass the Lord and say, well, actually, uh, no, you forgot this. You overlooked that. There will be no new evidence uncovered that means we'll have to face a retrial in the future. We hear it all the time in our society, but not so with God. There's nothing that can be used, therefore, to blackmail us. And Satan will try and do that. But there's nothing, not our own sin, not our conscience, not our family and work colleagues. Satan has nothing real on us. He will try and convince us that he's got heaps on us, but he's got nothing on us, really, because Christ has dealt with it all. The demands of justice have been fully satisfied in the death of Christ. And this fact is constantly made known in heaven 
as Jesus constantly reminds God the Father and the whole of the heavenly assembly, by the looks of his hands, I've done it all. It is finished. And finally then, who can separate us from God? 35 onwards. Um, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it's written, for your sake we have been killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There'll be many times in life when we face tough situations as Christians. Some of those through no fault of our own. Even in those situations, we do not need to fear that we will not persevere. Because God will be preserving us in the midst of those very situations. Think of the worst torture that a Christian has ever endured. Think of the most powerful spiritual forces of evil in the universe. None of those things will be able to overpower or erode God's love from us and commitment to us. Yes, they might take our life and hasten us into heaven, but they will never erode God's love or commitment to us. Now, we know only too well that most marriages come to grief over a, slowly over a long period of time as the initial love and commitment just gets eroded, one hurt, one disappointment at a time, until abandonment is the, is the outcome. Could the same happen with God's love for us? After all, I mean, he's experienced so many hurts, so many disappointments from us. He has put us back on our feet so many times. He lives with the mess that we create all the time. But God's love is total. God's love is unconditional. God's love will never, ever waver, let alone fail. So there we have it, my friends. God's reference points to ensure we can navigate the truth of assurance, assurance of salvation, and be totally confident in being saved. Romans 8 starts in the context of Paul's desperate question in in chapter 7. Who will rescue me from that terrible, relentless battle against sin as a Christian? Who, Who will rescue me from it? We've pointed to the objective work of Christ on our behalf as a rescue. We're pointed to the defining and renewing work of God's Spirit within us, confirming we are God's children We're pointed to God's ongoing activity in our lives. Having adopted into his family as beloved children, he is now working for our good and the achievement of his purpose and salvation. Father, Son, and Spirit. 
And this is the essence of assurance. If we're looking at the battle with sin within us from the perspective of our own resources, from the perspective that I could do well enough in this battle to earn acceptance before God, then the response must be, wretched creature that I am. But if that same battle is seen from the perspective of God's plan and purpose and God's grace, then the conclusion must be, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ. Now, I've addressed mainly those here this morning who are Christians. Let me have two sentences now if you're not yet a Christian here this morning. Our life, our world is so fragile. It really is. Every one of us deep down is looking for some sort of security, some sort of reference point by which we can navigate life with confidence, knowing that we are ready for the life after this life. I present to you this morning the challenge to think about the Lord Jesus Christ being that pathway you are in your heart looking for. I can only tell you from my experience that you get out, I get out of bed in the morning only because of the confidence that whatever happens in that day is actually for my good and under the umbrella of God's care and love for me. I don't know whether I'll see the end of the day at the start. That life is so fragile. But what I do know is whatever happens at the end of that day, and if it means my death, I will see the Lord Jesus and be with him forever. Now that's the security that I think every person is looking for in this world, and I beg you to consider it this morning. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you're so kind to us in giving us absolute confidence and assurance in what you're doing for us, what you have done for us, and what you're continuing to do in us. Help us, Lord, to luxuriate in that assurance. Not to be self-centered, Lord, but then to be so confident in the loving nature of your Father that we want to respond to you in a way that's pleasing and honoring to you as we seek to live and serve you day by day. Amen.